of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to this time with great expectancy. We ask that you would reveal your glory, that you would show us Christ in these moments ahead. God, that you would show us Christ, that we would be inspired, that we would be satisfied in him, and that that satisfaction would lead us to take the gospel to all the nations here and spread to the ends of the earth. Bless our time now in your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a plan. It just doesn't quite have the same ring to it as I have a dream. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. declared those now unforgettable words at the Lincoln Memorial, he inspired millions of people with a vision of a future in America where Americans from all races would live together in peace and harmony as equals. What was it about that vision that was so compelling? Why were so many people willing to suffer, to shed their blood, to be beaten, to be imprisoned for the sake of this vision? Why were they willing to make such great sacrifices? We'll get to that answer eventually, but for now, it's enough for us to note that it was a shared vision that inspired our nation to take action. And it's an inspired vision, an inspired dream, an inspired revelation that is meant to inspire us as a church to take action today. Sadly, when many Christians open the book of Revelation, they either go looking to pick a theological fight or they get discouraged and depressed because they can't make heads or tails of it. Often, uh, some people act like the book of Revelation was just inspired for the sake of argument. Well, are, are you premillennial or postmillennial? Are you pre-trib or post-trib? Now, to some of you, that might sound like I'm speaking Arabic right now, and that's okay. But other people, when they try to read the book of Revelation, they get so lost in the symbols and imagery and and when is the end going to come? And who the Antichrist is? And am I going to be left behind? That they, they despair of ever making heads or tails of it. But I want us to know today that the book of Revelation was not written for the sake of argument or to confuse us. The book of Revelation was written for everyday Christians like you and me fighting to faithfully follow Jesus in a fallen world. We could sum up the message of the whole book, all 22 chapters like this. Jesus wins, Satan loses, the best is yet to come, so don't give up now. And when we come to this specific chapter and this specific text in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, we get an extraordinary glimpse into the future when all Christians from all nations will gather together before the throne of King Jesus in perfect peace and harmony as equals forever. This extraordinary vision of the future is meant to inspire us right now in the present to make disciples of all nations, 
for the glory of God and for the joy of all peoples. First, we make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. Look with me beginning at verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. God pulls back the curtain on eternity, on the future, and shows the apostle John what's coming. And John sees an innumerable crowd of people. So many people, it's like the sand on the seashore. It says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. John sees all the peoples, all the people groups of the earth represented in this crowd. So not just geopolitical nations, not just Americans and Peruvians and Chinese, but people groups like the Aymaras, the Hutus, the Quechuas, the Berbers, people groups, all there gathered together. The Great Commission has been completed. The promise made long ago to Abraham has been fulfilled in Christ. Abraham has become the father of a multitude of nations. His true offspring are greater in number than the stars in the sky. And they are all gathered together, the text says, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are gathered together in the throne room of the King of Kings. Why do you think that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us the fact that all the nations were gathered there together? He could have just said, There was a great multitude that no one could number standing before the throne. and just went on with it. Well, one reason is that he's pointing out the fact that God is not just focused on quantity. He's also focused on quality. God is not just focused on saving as many people as possible. He has saved, is saving, and will save many people. So many people that no census could ever number them. But God's focus is not just on numbers. It's also on diversity. Think about it. That's why Jesus didn't command us in the Great Commission to just go make as many disciples as you possibly can. No, what did he say? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Because God's plan has always been to save many people from every tribe, tongue, and language. That means we can't just stay here in Richmond and try to save as many people as possible. We want to see many people saved here in Richmond, but we also want to see many people saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, at this point, some of you, hopefully many of you, might be thinking, I'm with you, Eric. I want to make disciples of all nations. I just don't know how. Well, that's why Samantha and I are here to bring what we've learned from making disciples on four different continents to serve alongside of you all and figure it out. Come talk to us. Now, we're not experts, but we're committed to working with you to figure it out. Talk about it in your Bible fellowship groups. Think internationally and think locally. Internationally, it could look like when you gather together with your BFGs that you pray for unreached people groups or pray for missionaries like the Hancocks who are serving in East Asia. It could mean going on a mission trip or supporting a missionary financially. Locally, it could look something like this. Just this past week, I stopped at one of these gas stations right up here at the intersection, walked in, overheard the couple behind the counter speaking a foreign language, looked over, saw some bags for sale that looked like they were from a foreign country. I asked them about the bags, got into a conversation, and found out that they're from a country in Asia where just a few years ago, 
the government of that country made it illegal to share the gospel, made it illegal for a Hindu to convert to Christianity. Whether you're a foreigner or a native of that country, if you get caught sharing the gospel, you could spend five years in prison. And those people from that closed country work right down the street from our church. What an amazing opportunity. I mean, I'm going to regularly need to get gas. And how much of a sacrifice is it going to be to not pay at the pump, but to go inside so that I can get to know these people and build a relationship and invite them to church? Listen, I don't know what it's specifically going to look like for you and your family to reach the nations that are gathered here in Richmond, but it really could be that simple. If you need help, come talk to us because we're committed to doing whatever it takes to help our church make disciples of all nations. As we continue looking at verse 9, the text says that all Christians from all nations are standing together in the presence of King Jesus, and it says, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. These white robes they're wearing represent the perfect righteousness, the perfect goodness of Christ that covers them. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. But then after they sinned, they and all their descendants after them have been clothed and ashamed because of their sin. But because of Jesus and for eternity, all Christians from all nations will be clothed and unashamed because the white robes that we wear will forever remind us of the perfect righteousness of Christ that covers all our sin and shame. The palm branches that they hold in their hands are symbols of triumphant victory and joy. You might recall that the Sunday before his crucifixion, Jesus rode into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, and large crowds of Jewish peoples gathered together with palm branches in their hands and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! Now, that scene is repeated with peoples from all nations gathered together before the resurrected King Jesus with perfect joy, worshiping and praising him for eternity. But why does King Jesus want praise from all the nations? Why not just save as many people as possible from one people group? Well, it's because Jesus gets greater glory from a diverse gathering of people from all nations worshiping him together in unity than he does from just one single mono-ethnic group. John Piper puts it this way in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. The fame and greatness and worth of an object of beauty increases in proportion to the diversity of those who recognize its beauty. Let me say that again. The fame and greatness and worth of an object of beauty increases in proportion to the diversity of those who recognize its beauty. While we were living in Europe, Samantha and I and Charlie, we went on a vacation with Samantha's parents to Paris. And while we were there, we saw the Mona Lisa. What I remember most about that experience was not the painting. It was the people. There were, it was crazy. There were people from literally all over the world who had traveled from all across the world to stand in line for over an hour to get like 15 seconds to look at this one painting. And people have been doing that since Da Vinci painted it over 500 years ago. 
That tells you something about the beauty and glory of that painting. But in a far greater way, when all Christians from all nations, from all across time, gather together to worship King Jesus with fullness of joy for eternity, that tells you something about his beauty and his glory. Jesus gets more glory when all nations recognize his glory and worship him. Here in Revelation, we do not see unity for the sake of diversity, but rather we see unity in diversity for the sake of God's glory. But notice what else is going on as we continue in verse 10. This innumerable crowd of people from all nations are standing before King Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The people aren't just going through the motions, are they? They're not just passively standing, they're passionately worshiping. Think about it. With this many people gathered together in this throne room shouting out loud praise, it would make the cheering at Rupp Arena sound like the whispering at your local library. The people are declaring that salvation is God's possession, that he has freely given to countless people from all nations who have trusted in his son. But then look what happens in verses 11 and 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. So you've got these 24 elders who are probably representatives of all Christians. And these four living creatures, probably a special type of angel, they're all standing together with an innumerable crowd of believers from all nations. And surrounding them is an innumerable crowd of angels. And who's front and center? Who's all the focus on? King Jesus. In response to the praise of the nations, the angels, the text says, fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The angels respond with passionate worship, with seven qualities belonging to our God that deserve praise. Numbers are important in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. Seven represents wholeness, completeness, perfection. This is complete praise for our perfect God. In this text, John sees an incredible vision of all Christians from all nations worshiping King Jesus along with an innumerable crowd of angels. What he sees is a corporate worship gathering. John gets a glimpse of what Sunday morning service is going to look like in the new heavens and new earth for eternity. And you know what? It doesn't look all that different from what we do when we gather here together on Sunday mornings. And it's not supposed to. Because when we stand united together with people who don't look like us and passionately worship Jesus, we display to one another and to the world a glimpse of what eternity will be like. That means the more passionate our worship of Jesus is, the clearer the preview of eternity. That means the more our focus is on Jesus in worship, the clearer the preview of eternity. And that means the more nations that are gathered here together with us to worship Jesus, the clearer the preview of eternity. Listen, if you only like worshiping God with people who look just like you, you are not going to like heaven. 
Because in heaven, we are going to spend eternity worshiping Jesus with fullness of joy with all the nations, from all, with all Christians from all nations gathered together with perfect unity for eternity. We get a glimpse of that, and the world gets a glimpse of that every Sunday morning when we gather together. This is what made the witness of the early church so compelling. Michael Green, a church historian, wrote a great book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And in that book, he notes that nowhere else in the ancient world could you find so many different kinds of people united together, loving one another, and committed to the same cause. It absolutely rocked the Roman Empire. They couldn't explain it away. And it's the same now. Mono-ethnic, segregated churches make sense to the world. But when they see people who are united together, who seemingly have nothing in common except their passion for Jesus Christ, it makes the world stop and take notice of the power of the gospel. The elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. The eternal joy of all Christians from all nations hangs on that one word, therefore. Psalm 1611 says that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. So how do we get there? How do we get into that throne room with all the nations with fullness of joy? That word, therefore, tells us the reason why you and I and every Christian from every people group will be in that throne room before King Jesus with fullness of joy for eternity is because we have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you washed your robes in his blood? Have you washed your robes by forsaking your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone? The New International Version puts Isaiah 64, 6 this way. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You think you're going to get into that throne room before the king of kings wearing a bunch of filthy rags? You wouldn't visit the president wearing a bunch of filthy rags. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't visit your mama wearing a bunch of filthy rags. Remember in Genesis when Pharaoh was having all those dreams and Joseph was just rotting away in an Egyptian prison? They didn't just yank him out of that pit and bring him straight in front of Pharaoh. No, what happened? He, they brought him out, he cleaned himself up a bit, and the text says he changed his clothes and then he went in to Pharaoh's presence. Remember Esther? She spent like a whole year being beautified with ointments and oils before she was brought in before the king. And remember that parable that Jesus told in Matthew 22, there was a king who was throwing a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out messengers and they invited basically anyone they could find to come in. And when the king comes in to look at the guests, there was a man there who didn't have the right clothes on. And the king says to him, 
how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. So the king orders that man to be thrown out of his presence, to be tied up and thrown out. So you think that you're going to, when you die, that one day you're just going to show up before God, before King Jesus, the King of Kings, and say, well, I'm basically a good person. I mean, I went to church. I read my Bible every now and then. I never killed anybody or robbed a bank or anything like that. Yeah, I might have a little spot here or there, but I'm all right. Listen, God looks at those good things that you've done, that you're trusting in to save you, and says, filthy rags. But some of you probably feel like you're wearing filthy rags right now. You don't like coming to church or talking about God. You don't want to open up about your life in a Bible fellowship group with others because you're full of regrets. You know that you've made a lot of mistakes, and you don't want to talk about it. You don't think you have it in yourself to clean yourself up and get your act together and be a good Christian. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of the Lamb was spilt, so that we could be washed clean from all of our sins and receive the perfect righteousness, the white robe of his perfect righteousness. That's why he was nailed to the cross, so that by faith in him, we can take all our insufficient good works and all of our sins and be washed clean. Listen, your good works will never be so many that you don't need to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And your sins will never be so many that you can't be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Have you washed your robes in his blood? Have you forsaken your sin and put your faith in Christ? If not, do it right now. This is the good news that we bring to the nations gathered here in Richmond and spread to the ends of the earth. That if they will wash their robes and make them white by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in him, that they will have forgiveness of sins and fullness of joy and be in that throne room in the presence of King Jesus. Nothing in this life can give you or I or the nation's fullness of joy other than Jesus. Not drugs, not sex, not health, not wealth, not work, not family. Nothing but Jesus. The text says in verse 15, because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, that all Christians from all nations will be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's why we'll be wearing the robes. Notice that we won't be wearing boots and Carhartts for eternity or suits and ties or aprons or brightly colored matching mission trip t-shirts. In the past, the only people who wore robes were priests or kings. So that meant if you were wearing a robe, you were either part of the royalty or part of the priesthood. And because of Jesus, for eternity, we will be part of both. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now and into eternity, we will serve God as royal priests, covered by the perfect righteousness of Christ. We, along with all believers from all nations and all the angels, will forever proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And think about this. In the tabernacle and in the temple, one Jewish man, the high priest, one Jewish man from one specific tribe could once a year momentarily enter into the partial presence of God before the ark of God by sprinkling the blood of a spotless goat. But now, by the spotless blood of the Lamb of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, all Christians, male and female, from all nations, from all tribes, will be able to come into the direct, full presence of God before the throne of God and worship Him day and night forever. As if this weren't enough to inspire us to make disciples of all nations, it gets even better. Because the focus of these final verses isn't so much on how much we'll serve Jesus, but rather the focus is on how much Jesus will serve us. Verses 15, 16, and 17. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. It could be translated, he will cover them with his tabernacle. As royal priests, we will be in the holiest place with God. He will protect us. He will shelter us. And verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. We already saw how Jesus gives us complete and eternal spiritual satisfaction by shedding his blood on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But now... We see how Jesus gives us complete and eternal physical satisfaction. Do you ever get hungry or thirsty? Ever get freezing cold in winter? Ever feel like you're sweating to death in humid Kentucky summers? You won't in the new heavens and new earth. Because Jesus will provide all our food, water, and shelter. He will satisfy all our physical needs forever. Verse 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Remember what Jesus said in John 19, 11? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus is the lamb of God who was slain for the eternal salvation of our souls. And Jesus is the shepherd, the eternal shepherd of our souls. He will guide them to springs of living water. Jesus will satisfy us. Jesus will refresh us. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you shed any tears this past week? Ever cried beside the graveside of a loved one? Have you ever been so sad or so depressed or in so much pain that all you could do was cry? Just like I wipe away the tears from my son Charlie's eyes, God will wipe away your tears. For eternity, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more tears because there will be no more crying. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more pain. 
Jesus will completely satisfy us emotionally forever. Jesus will completely satisfy us spiritually, physically, and emotionally for eternity. We will be fully satisfied in Christ. It's when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that we find full and eternal satisfaction. That glory is revealed to us in the gospel, in the good news that the Lamb spilt his blood to wash us clean and clothe us with the white robe of his perfect righteousness. The good news that because Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, we may be fully satisfied in him. When the Holy Spirit grips your heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you repent and believe, then you will be satisfied in Christ now and forevermore. And when you are satisfied in Christ, then you will want to make disciples of all nations so that they will be satisfied in Christ with you and have fullness of joy in him. So how can you know for sure if you've washed your robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb? How can you know for sure if you'll be in that throne room with fullness of joy for eternity? You can know because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good now. You can know because you can taste the satisfaction in Christ now in the midst of this fallen world. Even in the midst of this fallen world, you have satisfaction in Christ. Our satisfaction in Christ leads us to sacrifice so that others will be satisfied in Christ. Just as our worship of Jesus as a church says something about eternity, so does our satisfaction in Jesus as a church. It's because we are satisfied in Christ that we make disciples of all nations. And it's because they will be satisfied in Christ that we make disciples of all nations. We make disciples of all nations because we know that fullness of joy awaits them in the presence of King Jesus. And their joy will bring him glory. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of the future when Americans from all races would live together in peace and harmony as equals was a compelling vision because it was a small part of this vision from Revelation 7. Dr. King dreamt of the day when little black American boys and little black American girls would join hands with little white American boys and little white American girls as brothers and sisters. But the Apostle John foresaw the day when all Christians from all nations would stand shoulder to shoulder as equals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and live in perfect peace and harmony with fullness of joy in Jesus' presence for eternity. Many people were willing to suffer for the sake of civil rights in America. But Jesus was willing to suffer to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to shed his blood on the cross so that by faith in him, we may have the right to become children of God. Jesus made the greatest possible sacrifice in order to make this vision reality. And right now, Jesus Christ is on his throne. Right now, he's gathering together believers from all nations into his presence where they will have full satisfaction and joy for eternity. Ashland Church, let's be satisfied in Christ and dissatisfied with ourselves until all the nations are satisfied in Christ. 
That's what we say we believe, right? One of the things I love about this church is that this vision, God's vision from Revelation 7, is foundational to who we are and what we do. The vision of our church is that we exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. May God's vision, God's dream of all the nations gathered together in the throne room before King Jesus with fullness of joy inspire us now to take action and do whatever it takes to make disciples of all nations for God's glory and their joy. Pray with me.